0: Thanks for having me. Um, For those of y'all that don't know me, I don't know if anybody may or may not know me. Um, My name is Matt Walker, um, and um, I am a uh, friend of Felix's, and uh, I uh, have a ministry called Anchor Apologetics, and um, he's uh, asked me to come speak this morning, so I'm going to speak. And um, I do want to say, because I've been here a few times, and uh, I'm extremely excited at the fact that you guys are doing what you're doing. Um, For those of y'all that don't know, me and Beth actually came from Fort Worth, my wife Beth, and uh, we moved down here to Corpus Christi, and um, we came from a church plant. And the church plant that we came from, um, we were actually part of the church plant from the very inception of the church. So when it was in our pastor's house, we were actually at the, the, you know, that was our church to start with. And um, we saw it grow from the house church to By the time we left, I think we were right around 400 plus attendees, Um, and I think last count, I think they they broke 500, something like that. So, um, but what you're doing here is a huge, huge thing. Um, You know, I grew up in Corpus, and, you know, I've seen uh, a lot of churches, and um, our city needs more gospel-focused churches that want to um, preach the gospel and want to love the city um, and that's exactly what you guys are doing. And so um, I just want to tell you guys, I want to encourage you guys um, just to keep doing what you're doing. Um, God's doing great things here. You have a new facility, which is fantastic, which is, um, you know, this is probably a bigger facility than most church plants get whenever they first start out. Um, now I know that you came from the Marriott, um, but it's but, but you're growing, and that's great. Um, and one of the things that I love here is the fact that we have more seats available so more people can come, which is great. Um, but uh, for those of y'all that um, haven't heard a lot of my story, I'm, I'm a pretty busy guy. Um, number one, I'm married. And, uh, you know, with marriage, for those of y'all that are married, it comes with a lot of uh, work. Um, it's, it's God-glorifying work. It's great work. Um, but it's work nonetheless. I mean, it, it takes a lot of work to be able to, um, to love your spouse well, um, to be able to serve them, to actually spend time intentionally with your spouse, um, not just time with your spouse, like you're watching football, or you're on your computer, and the wife's doing something else, or whatever the case may be, um, but it takes work, it takes time, um, another thing that I do, like I said, is, um, I founded a ministry called Anchor Apologetics, and what we do basically is this, we, um, point people to the beauty of God, um, by talking about and discussing the deep issues that deal with faith, art, and humanity, um, we actually do quite a few things as far as how we go about that. I mean, it's actually, it's apologetics, which is the defense of the faith. And, um, you know, last weekend I actually had a, an event that I spoke at called the Bible and Beer Consortium uh, up in Fort Worth. And in this event, what we did, basically, I gave a talk on the old arguments of the new atheism and why the answers remain the same. Basically showing that atheism is untenable or illogical. Um... And after that, we had a two and a half hour spirited Q&A. Uh, it got pretty intense. You can imagine some people getting their, you know, their feathers ruffled. There's a couple beers in them. They're ready to go, right? Um, and so, but it was great. It was great. It was the biggest turnout they've, they've ever had. Um, and uh, it was really, um, I think the best part about the whole thing at the very end was the fact that there were so many um, conversations that actually broke out and, and started happening, not with just atheists and Christians and atheists and Christians but they're all mixed together and they're discussing these deep deep issues and talking about even reasons why they are an atheist being the fact that they got burned by the church, they got burned by a pastor they got burned by something that turned them away, maybe it was even their father um, that to me was the best part of the entire thing and, um, and so with that, with Anchor um, I go and I speak at places, um, I train in apologetics, um, I also uh, write, um, part of what I'm going be, to be talking about today is in a book I have coming out in the spring of next year called Present Practice and it's all about um, what Brother Lawrence calls um, practicing the presence of God, being in God's presence and what that looks like um, and how you can do that in a busy world. Um, another thing that I do is I'm actually a youth minister at a church, a city church, not to be confused with Impact City Church. Um, we're over off, off of Staples, and I have a unique um, set of students. Um, I grew up in public school, and so in public school, um, we have issues like school fights, like fights in school, um, teen pregnancy, STDs, stuff like that. And I brought that up to my students, and I said, y'all wrestle with any of these? And they're like people wrestle? I'm like, really? This is crazy. And so, I mean, they're, it's, it, they go to Annapolis. A lot of them go to Annapolis Christian Academy. And so it's, um, they give them so much work to do, they're like, they have no other option but to do homework. Which is kind of a genius plan, but. Uh, so it's, it's a different dynamic with these students. So um, another thing that I do, um, apart from these other things, is I work for a company called E.W. Scripts, which is um, a, a media company, And I work for the division called Scripps Digital. And we office out of the Caller Times, which is um, what we own. We own the Caller Times, one of the places that we own. Um, And what I do is I actually connect businesses and organizations and causes with the people they want to reach out to. And we do that via um, online advertising. Okay, so um, that's what I do during the day. Anchor Apologetics is what I do during the nighttime and on the weekends. Um, And then one other thing we've got coming up, excuse me, is... Um, we're going to be partnering with a an organization called Rosho Christi. Um, Rosho Christi um, stands for Reason for Christ, and what this is is a grassroots, college-based, gospel-based ministry that trains college students how to defend their faith uh, in the midst of the college atmosphere, in the midst of atheistic professors, um, of people with doubt, Because eighty percent of students, whenever they go after they leave high school, walk away from Christianity, walk away from the church altogether. Um, and like I was telling a few of you guys earlier, uh, one thing that we actually have coming up in uh, in January of 2015 is the Unapologetic Conference. What this is is basically people get apologetics confused with apologizing, right? Um, which is not what it is. It's to, it's to defend the faith, and so unapologetic means that we're unapologetic about our faith. And so what we'll be doing is bringing in speakers. A lot of them very high profile speakers. Um, like Lee Strobel, who wrote The Case for Christ. Um, Hopefully we'll get in um, uh, William Lane Craig, who wrote Reasonable Faith, debates people all over the world, Um, and Robbie Zacharias, um, with a lot of breakout sessions and stuff like that. But I say all of that to say this. I'm busy, right? And if I had to guess, I would say you guys are busy too. Um, Whether you're a businessman or a businesswoman, um, you know, you've got to take care of your kids, you've got to go, to go to work, you have to come take care of the laundry, you have to, if you're a student, you're, um, you know, you're studying, you're hanging out with your friends, uh, you're doing all of these things, so many things, I mean, you're taking your kids to soccer practice, to football practice, to the chess club, whatever it is, like you're doing all of this stuff, all of this busy work, I mean, we're texting, we're Facebooking, um, we're, you know, tweeting, we're emailing, we're pinning stuff on Pinterest, all of this noise that we surround ourselves with. And have you ever noticed in the midst of your busyness how you tend to forget God? I mean, I know I have. Um, I mean, have you ever looked at, and maybe you guys, you may or may not have done this before, but have you ever looked at any of the saints, right? Um, You look at St. Augustine or uh, Jonathan Edwards or Um, you know, Martin Luther, or maybe you even look at the people sitting next to you, or maybe you're looking at um, the person down the street, but you're like, these people have it all together. They know how to connect with God in a way that I have no idea. Or maybe, um, you know, sometimes whenever you pray, like, have you ever felt like, have you ever been in a place where, like, you're praying, and it feels like you're just talking to the four walls in your apartment? Or the four walls in your house. Or if you're walking and you're praying like you're just like talking to the air. Well, the thing is with all of this is, is God is near to us. And we're never, we're never just talking to our walls. And we're never just talking to the air. Um, and the issue is not the fact that, because I think a lot of people, and I know a lot of people that I've talked to about this issue... Um, they tend to think, well, maybe God is showing this person more favor than me. And a lot of that stems from their their upbringing, because their parents showed more favor to a different sibling, or whatever the case may be, but they don't feel like they're worthy of God's love. They're worthy of, that God necessarily loves them and wants to lavish his grace, lavish his presence onto them. And uh, A.W. Tozer, a theologian, says this. He says, uh, in the Pursuit of God, his book, The Pursuit of God, he says, the difference lies not with God, but with us. And he continues on and says this, I venture to guess that the one vital quality which they, the old saints, had in common was spiritual receptivity. Something in them was open to heaven, something which urged them Godward. Without attempting anything like profound analysis, I shall say simply that they had spiritual awareness and that they went on to cultivate it until it became the biggest thing in their lives. They differed from the average person in that when they felt the inward longing, they did something about it. They acquired the lifelong habit of spiritual response. Receptivity is not a single thing. Rather, it is a compound, a blending of several elements with the soul. "...it is an affinity for, a bent toward, a sympathetic response to, a desire to have. From this, it may be gathered that it can be present in degrees, that we may have little or more depending upon the individual. It may be increased by exercise or um, destroyed by neglect. It is not a sovereign and irresistible force which comes upon us as a seizure from above." It is a gift of God, indeed, but one which must be recognized and cultivated as any other gift if we are to realize the purpose for which it was given. Failure to see this is the cause of a very serious breakdown in modern evangelicalism, which is the modern day church, essentially. The idea of cultivation and exercise so dear to the saints of old has now no place in our total religious picture. It is too slow, too common, We now demand glamour and fast-flowing dramatic action. A generation of Christians reared among push-buttons and automatic machines is impatient of slower and less direct methods of reaching their goals, which have been trying to apply machine-age methods to our relations with God. We read our chapter, have our short devotions, and rush away. Hoping to make up for our deep inward bankruptcy by attending another gospel meeting or listening to another thrilling story told by a religious adventurer lately returned from far, the tragic result of this spirit are all about us: shallow lives, hollow religious philosophies, the preponderance of the element of fun in gospel meetings, the glorification of men trust in religious externalities, quasi-religious fellowships, salesmanship methods, the, mistake, the mistaking of dynamic personality for the power of the spirit. These and such as these are the symptoms of an, ev- of an evil disease, a deep and, sp- and serious malady of the soul. So what do these guys have? What do these guys have that we, that we don't seem... To have a lot of times whenever we can't connect with God. Receptivity, right? They're receptive to the Holy Spirit. They're receptive to God's presence. They're receptive to Him actually working and doing something in their lives. Tozer has this short phrase here that he says as he he goes, God is here. Wherever we are, God is here. There is no place, there can be no place where he is not. Ten million intelligences stand at as many points in space and separated in incomprehensible distances can each one say with equal truth, God is here. I know know that was a lot. Um, (laughs) No point is near to God from any place as it is from any other place. No one is in mere distance any further or any nearer to God than any other person. The approach of God to the soul or of the soul to God is not to be thought of in spatial terms at all. There is no idea of physical distance involved in the concept. It is not a matter of miles, but of experience. Like give you ever guys have you guys ever read uh, Genesis 28? You probably have, maybe. Um, but in Genesis 28. Jacob falls asleep. He uses a rock for a pillow, and he falls asleep, and he has this dream. And uh, he sees this ladder. Like uh, Y'all probably heard of Jacob's ladder. And it's this ladder that, that descends from heaven to earth. And you see angels going up and down this ladder. And then God speaks to Jacob. And after, this, after he speaks to Jacob, Jacob wakes up, and he says, Surely God is in this place, and I was unaware of it. Surely God was in this place. He's all around us. God is with us. God is everywhere. There's no place that we can go to run away from Him. And so for us to connect with God should be relatively easy in the sense that He's always here. Right? He's waiting for us just to say, Father. So this brings me to my first point as far as um, how to connect with God. And that's meditation. Now, the enemy uses actually, I mean, he uses a lot of different tools to to throw us off. Um, Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. Um, But three things that he really uses a lot of, um, especially for us Americans, is noise, hurry, and crowds. Right? If he can create enough noise, enough hurry, enough busyness in our lives that he can throw us off course. Because the thing is, we think to ourselves, well, man, I don't have time to spend with God. I don't have time to do any of this stuff. I just don't have time. And Satan says, good job. I did well. Right? Go on and be busy. And so it's almost kind of like we take our house and we flip it upside down. We put the foundation on the top. We put it as a last thing. We don't put it as the foundation of our house. And what did Jesus say about a house that's built on sinking sand? It can't stand, right? So, there are two words used in the Hebrew um, that talk about this idea of meditation. And and I'm not going to get into what the words are, but I will say what they mean, okay? Um, They have various meanings depending on the context, and they say this. Um, It's like listening to God's word. Reflecting on God's works, rehearsing God's deeds, and ruminating on God's law. But in every case we see this, we see that the emphasis is, in context, that the whole focus of this meditation is to see a change because of an encounter with God in all of these instances throughout the Old Testament. Now, what does it mean to meditate, right? What does it mean to to, to really meditate it's a real, real difficult definition. Y'all ready for this? It's the ability to hear God's voice and obey His word. It's that simple. That simple. Like, there's no kind of like hidden mystery. Like, we don't have to do some kind of mantra or like do a spell like expaliamus and He's like here and oh God is here. Like, you don't have to do that. Like, I remember whenever I uh, first became a Christian it was back whenever I was like 21 years old. And, um, man, I was, I was pumped. I'm still pumped. But, but I was still figuring it out, right? Um, and so, um, by God's grace, um, a few guys from my church, you know, brought me in and, and whatever. They brought me into the house. Like, literally, like, they're like, come live with us, right? Um, which was awesome. And I was there one night. And I was like, you know what? Like, I really want to have, like, this really intense moment with God. I want to connect with God. So... Um, you know, I throw, on the, I throw on the Braveheart soundtrack, you know, I light a few candles, I pour some wine, it's like the blood, man, I'm like, I'm, you know, I got some wine, you know, turn the lights down low, it's like I'm getting ready for a date, you know what I mean? And I'm sitting there, I'm sitting there, I'm like, I'm waiting, man, we're gonna do this. Yeah, I'm just waiting for Jesus to show up, waiting for him to show up. I'm sitting there, and I, and I, and I put my head down, and Nothing. Nothing. The point of this is, and the thing is, God was there, but the point of the matter is you don't have to do any kind of thing extravagant to connect with God. I think some of the most intimate times that I've ever had with God are ones where I just got on my hands and my knees, and I put my hands up like this, and I just said, Father, just to acknowledge that he's there. It's like I can feel him come on me like a, like a, like a rushing wind. I mean, the back of my, like the hairs on the back of my neck just stand up. He just wants us to come to him simply, honestly, vulnerably. Is that a word, vulnerably? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but that's what he wants, right? Um, Psalm 63, 6 says this. I think of thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the watches of the night. Psalm 119, verse 148 says this. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on thy promise. Psalm 1, verse 2 says this, and this is one of my favorites, it says, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. So this thing called meditation, as you can see here, it says day and night, right? It says day and night. It's not something that we have to, which I would say that we should, but we don't have to, Set aside 30 minutes, an hour to meditate. This is something that we do as we go. This is something that, as we see the beauty in the world, as we, if we, as we enjoy a conversation with somebody, we think about, man, what about the, the, the community that's in, that's in the Trinity? It points us upwards. Whenever we see the beauty in creation, we think about the creator, the designer of all of these beautiful things. They point us upward. They help us meditate on the beauty of God. And now, I don't want you to, to, to misunderstand what meditation is, because the common misconception is that um, meditation is like this weird Eastern, like I've got to burn some incense, like, you know, do some chants, put a thing on my head, like that's what it's supposed to be like. And that's not what it is, because Eastern religion teaches that we are to empty ourselves. That we are to let go of any kind of personality or individuality. That we lose our personhood. That we are to essentially break away and separate ourselves from the world to the extent that eventually we disperse into a thing that they call nirvana and we become part of the cosmic mind. Essentially it's this. Um, Eastern religions, the majority of them, do not believe in any kind of a deity. They believe in the natural world and the natural world only. And so... Um, with that idea, they have an idea called pantheism. And so um, they think the sum total of all physical things equals God. So that would be like my Bible here, uh, this podium, Jared, me. Like we're all pieces of God. But everything collectively is what God really is. Now, Christianity on the other hand, instead of saying... We're going to empty ourselves. It says we're going to fill ourselves. I'm going to meditate on the law, right? Day and night. I'm going to meditate on these things. I'm going, to, I'm going to put my eyes, I'm going to fix my eyes on Christ, on God. And that's what Christian meditation looks like. It's not getting rid of my identity and getting rid of my personal, but it's looking at Christ and seeing what my identity really is in him. And seeing how amazing that is. It's looking at Christ and seeing what he's called me to do, right? What he's called all of us to do. And so, Richard Foster, and I highly recommend you pick up this book. It is one of the best books I've ever read. Um, It is a book that changed my life. It's called Celebration of Discipline. And in this book, he says this about it. He says, we must come to see, therefore, how central our whole day is in preparing us for specific times of meditation. If we are constantly being swept off our feet with frantic activity, we will be unable to, uh, to be attentive at the moment of inward silence. A mind that is harassed and fragmented by external affairs is hardly prepared for meditation. The church fathers often spoke of odium sanctum, holy leisure, It refers to a sense of balance in the life, an ability to rest and take time to enjoy beauty, an ability to pace ourselves. With our tendency to define people in terms of what they produce, we would do well to cultivate holy leisure. And if we expect to succeed in the contemplative way, we must pursue holy leisure with a determination that is ruthless to our date books. Ruthless to our date books. So, again, this is not something that we have to compartmentalize. It's not something that we have to make sure that we only do in the morning and then we go off on our day and we forget all about God. It's not supposed to work that way. This is a lifestyle change. This is something that we integrate into every single thing that we do. And the funny thing is, when you do that, whenever you start to meditate on God and you start to see the world, it's almost like you go from black and white to color. Because you start to see the purpose, the beauty, the truth in all these little pieces of your world. And some may be afraid that this will separate us from reality, right? It's going to separate us from suffering, from pain, because we're trying to, you know, go off to la-la land, or go to our fantasy land, or whatever the case may be. And that's not what it is at all. It's drawing near to God, and then He draws near to us. And it's focusing on Christ, and allowing Him to work in us. Um, William Penn writes this, true godliness does not turn men out, turn men out of the world, but enables them to live better in it. and excites their endeavors to mend it. So this idea of meditation begins our kind of moving towards God, right? As we begin to see these things, these beautiful things begin to work on us and point us towards Christ and point us towards our God and then we can move into prayer. But what is prayer? Well, prayer, real simply put, is communion with God. It's conversation with God. I want to read you guys a story. It's out of the book of Luke, chapter 18. And i want to pick pick it up in verse 9. It says this, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up on the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you the truth, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You have to understand when it comes to prayer and that when it, when it comes to prayer, it's not something that has to be difficult. It's not something that has to be lofty. It's not something that has to look a certain way. I mean, okay, Okay. am I going to do the ACTS method, um, you know, like the whole acronym for ACTS? Um, uh, how does it go? Uh, we've got uh, adoration, thanksgiving, confession, and supplication, right? Does it have to look like that? Not necessarily. This is the thing. If we look at this story, if we look at this small little snapshot of what God is showing us through this this parable, it shows us that, yes, the words are great. But what's God after? He's after our hearts. He's after our motivations. When it comes to prayer, what's most important in prayer is your heart. The way that you come to God. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says, pray without ceasing. So what does that mean? Does that mean that we just say amen and it's done? No. The word amen means so be it, or may it be so. It's not saying, see you later. Hope you do what I ask, right? I'm hanging up now. Hanging up. No, you know, you hang up. No, I'm gonna hang up. I'm hanging up. Right? That's not how it works, right? It's like this constant conversation with God. Ephesians says this, pray at all times and in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Keep alert with all perseverance. All the time, right? But it's going to be hard. Prayer is not an easy thing. You can't say, "What? Well, like, oh, well, I'm a Christian so I just pray, right? I'm just good. Like I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I'm a Christian. You can't pray. I mean, maybe you're not a Christian. I, I don't know, right? It's hard, right? This is work. Remember at the very beginning we talked about this it, with, with Tozer. He was talking about how we have to cultivate this in ourselves. Because in our flesh, we don't want to draw near to God. We don't want to be close to God, right? But deep down, we do. But we fool ourselves into thinking that we don't. Paul says this in Romans. He says, labor with me in prayer, right? Labor with me. He doesn't say, hey, let's go have a fun time and go pray. He says, labor with me, work with me, sweat with me. Labor with me in prayer. It's not an easy task. It's not. Isaiah 62, 6-7 six says this, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest, and give me no rest, until he, God, establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. <clears throat> I love this. Because God is saying, He says, give me no rest. Bother me. Don't walk away. Don't leave me alone. Bother me. Like He has anointed His children to bother Him. Like He's he's not saying, okay, just pray and go to your thing. He's like, bother me. Be persistent in prayer. Be constantly in prayer. Pray without ceasing. Bug me. Pester me. I want to hear your prayers. I want to converse with you. I want to be near you. I want to have communion with you. And James 4.2 says, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So doesn't that imply that if we do ask, we will have? If we look at other parts of the scripture, if we ask in faith, believing that he will answer our prayers. He will answer our prayers. Luke 11, 9-10 says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. God wants us to converse with him. God wants us to meditate on him. God wants us to focus on those things like, you know Paul says to think on these things that are above, these beautiful things? This is where God wants our minds to be because as we cultivate our mind, and by the way, the, the, the heart in the scriptures, um, the actual word means the mind, okay? It's the seed of the, of the of the mind, okay? And so think about this. The way that we cultivate our mind is the way that we cultivate our heart. And our thoughts lead to our beliefs, which lead to our actions. And so, if we're going to grow in the Lord, we need to be thinking on these things. We need to be meditating on these things. And why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we want to? That the author of beauty, the beautiful, the good, the true God, wants us to meditate on him. Aren't those things that we all desire? Goodness, truth, beauty. Cynthia Buhan wrote this beautiful poem, and I want to read it for you guys. It's about being in God's presence. It says, My soul is at rest in you, for I am like a tree planted beside streams of water, bearing fruit in season. My mind is fed by you, for your wisdom comes like fresh rain on parched land growing oaks of righteousness my heart is refreshed by you and softly you speak in spirit like a gentle breeze at Horeb each breath a speech of love my being is lifted lifted in you as I scale to the rock higher than reaching clouds of your presence standing in the heights of refuge you dress me up with peace, adorn me with kindness joy and love Your faithfulness embraces me and I enjoy being with you, God. I remember um, when I used to live in Fort Worth, I was going to seminary for a while. And uh, when I was in seminary, I uh, was really busy. I was going to seminary full time. I was working a job full time at a steakhouse in downtown Fort Worth. And I was also um, uh, a minister at a church full time. And I was, I was the, uh, the university minister. And uh, I was doing all of these things. I remember talking to a friend of mine, and I was like, I just don't have time to spend with the Lord. And I didn't really say it like that, like, like I was upset about it, more of like, get off my back. Right? Because she could see it. And she looked at me, and like, have you ever been, she, like, she strongly rebuked me, like, have you all ever been strongly rebuked? Like a really strong conversation out of love, Right? And she was like, you don't have time not to spend time with God. And the funny, like the the ironic thing about the whole deal was, I mean, look at what I was doing. I was in seminary, pouring over the scriptures, pouring over all of this philosophy of religion, all of these things, right? I was uh, in ministry. I was, you know... Preaching the Gospel. I was teaching these students. I was doing all of these things, right? I was at my job in downtown um, answering all of their questions because they were all skeptics for the most part. Doing all of this Gospel work. Like, have y'all ever heard of the starving baker? Like, he bakes all this bread. He breaks all this bread and he gives it out to people. Constantly giving him bread. Constantly giving him bread. And he forgets to feed himself and he ends up starving and dies. That's where I was because I refused to take the time to spend with God. I didn't even think about as I was going, praying without ceasing, meditating on God and His law and His word day and night. We can all be there. We may all be there. I don't know. I don't know where everybody's at. But just know this. I want you to first of all know that you need to give yourself grace. Because if you're not there, know that God gives you grace. And lavish grace on yourself as God lavishes grace upon you. You may not be um, doing all these spiritual disciplines. You may not be you know, praying without ceasing and meditating on God's law day and night. Or fasting or serving or um, another one. Um, worshiping or celebrating or all of these spiritual disciplines you may not be doing any of them but know this God in his grace will enable you to do these things if you'll just stop and say Father help me and trust me when I say that whenever you do these things it will change your life like I do apologetics right and it's great But nothing even comes close to meditating on God and praying. Because, man, I I talked to so many people. Like last week, I talked to so many people. And I remember this guy had this really tough question. It was about death um, and his daughter. And, man, I didn't know how to answer it. And it broke my heart because he was an atheist, he had just turned an atheist. And he looked at me and he, in, in, in front of the whole crowd and he goes, You just confirmed the reason why I am an atheist. Thank you very much. Broke my heart. But the funny thing was about the whole ordeal is I don't know if, I mean, it had to have been a work of the Holy Spirit. It was the weirdest thing because he came up to me afterwards and he goes, You know, I'm sorry. Um, that I lashed out at you. Um, thank you so much for being honest with me. No one's ever given me an honest answer. And now this guy, all of a sudden subscribed to the website. He's started uh, emailing me. Um, all of this stuff, but it's, a, but it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, God doesn't care. The, the whole point is this, that God doesn't care if you're a theologian or you're an apologist, or you're a philosopher, or whatever you are, you're a molecular biologist, whatever the case is, like, God doesn't care about any of that stuff. All God wants is our hearts, and I guarantee you this, whenever you give God your heart, whenever you allow yourself to meditate on God and pray, it's going to transform your life. So may we be the kind of people that are like that, the kind of people that are Walking in step with God. May we be the kind of people that meditate on his scriptures, on his law, day in and day out. May we be the kind of people that love our God and draw near to him and allow him to transform us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the cross. God, we thank you that as we sit and stop, that we can listen to you. And we thank you that you don't ask us to empty ourselves. You don't ask us to lose who we are. You ask us to fill ourselves with the truth You ask us to lean into you to allow you to carry us, to love us, to be in communion with us, to show us beautiful things. God, I pray over everyone in this room, Lord. I I don't know where everybody's at. And I just pray that that they haven't tasted the beauty of of meditating on your word and, and being with you and Just maybe taking a walk through the trees and seeing how beautiful all these things are, that you would put it in their hearts to do so. And God, I pray that in this, that you would reveal yourself to them in such a way that it blows their mind. God, we pray that you would continue to work in our hearts, that you would continue to show up in a huge way, God. All of this is pointless without you. God, we just pray for more of you. We want more of you. We pray that you would help us to pray. Help us to meditate. And God, open our eyes. We love you so much. We ask all these things in your beautiful name. Amen.